This is the Roden Fellows Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Roden Fellows Podcast for the seventh class of fellows. I'm your host, Sakir George, and I'm an English major at the illustrious Howard University, home of the bison. Today, I'm joined by Roden Fellows Cameron Jackson, Lawrence Goss, and our founder, Mr. Roden. Today, we have a ple- the pleasure of speaking to a special guest, Miss Aisha Roscoe. First, I will let the other fellows introduce themselves. Hi, everybody. My name is Cameron Jackson. I'm a senior multimedia journalism student here at the illustrious North Carolina A&T, and I'm originally from Prince George's County, Maryland. Hey, everybody. My name is Lawrence Goss. I am a graduating senior uh, journalism student at the Florida A&M University in Tallahassee, Florida, and I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia. And me, I guess. Uh, I'm Bill Roden, uh, the founder of the Roden Fellows from, you know, I'm from Morgan State University. We don't have any like clever theme. Well, we just get it done. We just get the work done. (laughs) So anyway, yeah, great, great being with you guys. And last but not least, I would like to introduce Aisha Roscoe. Aisha Roscoe is the host of NPR's Weekend Edition Sunday and the weekend episode of Up First. Prior to her role as host, Roscoe was a White House correspondent. She covered three presidential administrations as part of the White House team. She was also a regular on the NPR Politics podcast. Before joining NPR, Roscoe was spent the first decade of her career at Reuters, rise from news assistant to an early an energy reporter to eventually covering the White House. While at Reuters, Roscoe covered some of the biggest energy and environmental stories of the of the past decade, including the 2010 BP oil spill. She's a proud graduate graduate of Howard University, and today we will be speaking to Miss Roscoe about HBCU Made, which she edited and wrote the forward for. Welcome, Aisha. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. And, you know, Morgan State is represented in HBCU Made as well as Howard. I didn't get anybody from A&T, though. So I got to, you know. Good move. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, Well, I guess I I know, Takir, you're you're hosting this. So I guess you should you should take it away. I won't bogart. But why don't you uh, why don't you dig in? Yes, Cam's just going to give us a recap of the last episode. Yeah, so last episode, we discussed the controversy with FAMU and them finding their new football coach, and then also kind of the controversy with Tiffany Skies. Apparently, there was like a lack of faith in her, which is a little ironic considering they just won the Celebration Bowl not too long ago. And then the fellows also discussed the things that we're looking forward to for the remainder of the internship and our post-grad plans. Thank you, Cam. This week, we'll be talking about HBCU Made, a book released only four days ago that speaks to the HBCU experience through personal accounts of famous alumnus. Um, So we're going to start talking about the forward first. Quick question for you. You know, it takes uh, a lot of vulnerability to be able to to be open and honest and telling your story uh, the way that you did in the forward. So how important for you was it to include your your honesty and your truth in your story and what reflections that you went through in your process of writing that down? Um, 
Well, I, I feel like I, I wanted to make sure that I was honest um, about my journey and about who I was and who, who I am and that it wasn't easy. Uh, I wanted people to know that I was extremely shy and introverted and I had a hard time in high school. I didn't have any friends. Some people like to say, are you sure you didn't have any friends? I, I didn't have any. It was just me and Jesus and, <laughs> like, I, and my family. That was it. Um, and I, I wanted people to know that, too, because I think sometimes people see me in the position that I'm in now and they really think that I kind of it was just smooth sailing and I just kind of stepped into everything. And that just is not the case. Um, just like everybody else, it's been a lot of ups and downs, a lot of doubts. And I, I didn't see myself in this space, but I, I thank God that um, God had a much bigger vision for me than I had for myself. Hmm. And kind of like leading into like HBCUs, especially you, Mr. Roden, how would you describe yourself before you started attending Morgan State? And how did you change after going to an HBCU? That's funny. That's the same question I was going to ask uh, to Aisha. Uh, I was, you know, sleepwalking, basically. And um, I won't go on because I really want to hear Aisha uh, answer this question. But you know, uh, I just thank God every day that that I was led to Morgan State. Uh, and I don't know how you guys felt, but I felt that it was almost after I finished. And, you know, all the things you were talking about, you know, the doubt and all that. I just realized how fortunate I was to be around black people, you know, who believe, who understood the struggle, you know. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure. If I, I think about that, if I would have gone somewhere else, you know, to a Ivy League school or big white school, what would that have been like? And I said, you know what? I really didn't want to spend my four years in college dealing with that, you know, because you got to deal with it. You know, it, it's too much. You got to deal with it most of your career. And for my 18, 19, 20, 21, I didn't want to deal with that kind of racism. You know, some people were built for that. And guys said, no, no, Bill. You need to go to an HBCU where you're going to get the support that you need. You don't need to deal with all that stuff. Now, I'm going to give you your momentum. You know, I'm going to give you your momentum so that you can do the, you know, do the rest of your career. So, no, um, I really felt uh, that that was the best thing that happened uh, in my life. You know, really, I, I'll just give give thanks. And I was led to Morgan. Yeah, I, I uh, agree wholeheartedly. And, and and really, you know, what you're talking about is is part of the reason why um, I, you know, put this book together. And what I saw in so many essays and certainly in my story um, was by attending Howard um, and attending an HBCU. And I don't know that I fully knew it when I made the decision, right. but looking back on it, it gave me a space to really grow and to develop myself without having to prove my humanity at right. every step. 
and not having to prove that I'm smart and prove that I deserve to be here and I didn't sneak in through the back door and, you know, all these things <laughs> and questions that come up um, just by existing in a space um, where most of the people are white. Um, and by being at a, a, and I think you see over and over in the book, how HBCUs offer a safe haven where talent can be nurtured in the Black community. Yeah, I completely agree with both of you guys. I think when I was um, first deciding about which school to go to, someone had told me, like, you have your entire life to deal with what the world will be giving to you, like being in these white spaces, what other time will you be able to be in like a fully black space where people look like you? And that was a driving factor for me. But Lawrence, Cam and I are still going through our HBCU journey, but I bet all of us will soon have something to reflect on as soon as May, 2024. Um, but speaking of journeys, HBCU made includes stories of well-known HBCU graduates like Stacey Abrams and Oprah Winfrey. Can you talk about the selection process for the book and if any stories in particular in particular stood out to you? Well, I will say, you know, I haven't put this book together. Each story is is my own, you know, is, is, is my baby. <laughs> you know, I love all of them. They're all special to me. Um, but when I was putting the book together, it was really important to me that I had a wide range of voices and, and people from different backgrounds and a wide range of schools represented. You know, I obviously, I didn't want just Howard or, or Spelman or, or Morehouse, those kind of bigger schools. Like I wanted, you know, the Talladegas and, you know, the the Dillards and, and some, because there are a hundred HBCUs um, across the country and all of them don't get the same amount of attention. And Morgan State doesn't always get the same amount of attention that it should. And so I wanted, you know, those schools um, represented. So it was really important. And, you know, from the beginning that we wanted to get not just the the bigger, more well-known schools, but some of those that get less attention. We also wanted different generations. So we wanted some of the people that are a bit more seasoned. And then we wanted some people who graduated, you know, more recently. So the youngest person in the book, Brandon Gilpin, he's an actor. He's like on P-Valley and other shows. Um, and he graduated from Morehouse in 2021. So, you know, we wanted a wide range of perspectives. And so I was really happy that we were able to bring that, you know, this diverse group of people together. With those um, different experiences kind of put down on paper, which one, if any, kind of stood out to you um, just about whether the experience was super different or something you just kind of never thought about experiencing yourself. Well, Roy Wood Jr.'s story in the book, I feel like is so powerful and talking to people, um, his story, you know, almost always comes up. Um, he's the comedian and actor. Um, and, you know, you've seen him at the White House Correspondents Dinner, et cetera. And he um, actually, he went to FAMU and he got in trouble with the law. And he talks about this in his um, essay and that he actually got suspended for a semester. And he had to go to the professors at FAMU and basically ask them to give him a second chance. Mm 
and FAMU gave him a second chance. And because of that second chance, um, we now see Roy Wood Jr., you know, doing amazing, incredible things. Um, and so I think it's an example of how HBCUs offer not only uh, community, but they offer redemption um, and, and that they give some students a chance who wouldn't get a chance otherwise. Um, and so that I felt like Roy Wood Jr.'s story was very powerful. He was also the first person I asked to be in the book. And he said, yes, immediately. He was upset because I did say H-U, you know, in the email. And he said, don't you ever send that to me? Because he <laughs> went to family. <laughs> but I'm so grateful, forever grateful to Roy Wood Jr. So if we can just, um, obviously all of us in here have different HBCU ties. Uh, if we can, well, I know in the book you named Toni Morrison as your favorite Howard alum. So if we can go around the room and kind of touch on each person's, um, whether it be your, your own school's representative, your favorite alum. Um, you want I me to start or you want to go to, oh. you go first to here. Yeah. Are you sure? Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, so one of my favorites is Zora Neale Hurston. Um, I just think she's such a powerhouse of a writer, and she had she had and has so much influence. Um, and I think she's just a great example of who I want to be in the writing world one day. And I, yeah, she just really serves as a reminder to me of the type of poet, the type of writer I want to be, and mostly like what I want to mean for a community, even when I'm gone, you know, her, her work outlives her. And I want that type of status one day. Well, um, go ahead, Cam. I, I, I was about to. Okay. For me, I'd say I have two, one from a different HBCU, but one from mine. Um, one from NCAT is definitely Taraji P. Henson. I think she actually graduated from Howard, but she went to NCAT. So We'll count her as both. Um, um, I really like her as an actress, and I also really like how outspoken she was. Um, I don't know if you guys know, but recently she kind of spoke on how she felt like she was underpaid for the color purple. And I think people like that are just very important in the world because I think you always need someone who's going to speak up when, you know, something like there's injustice happening. So I really like that. And then my other favorite HBCU alum, I'd say... He's from Morgan State. I, I think his name is William Roden, but sometimes people call him Bill. He's super funny, super cool. And, you know, he has this cool internship. I forget what it's called, but definitely one of my favorite alums from a different HBCU. Yeah. Cam is sharp, boy. Who <laughs> go far in this business, young lady? <laughs> I can go ahead and give uh, a couple of a couple of mine. Um, I'd say one will probably be well from well both from FAMU. I'd say one would probably be Bob Hayes. Um, seeing the impact that he had in in his athletic career and what it meant for um, not only FAMU but the entire African American community itself. Um, and then another uh, would be Rob Hardy. Uh, I'm a I'm an Alpha on campus, and he came through the chapter. Uh, in the early nineties that I came through, uh, in 2022. So, uh, that similarity. And then I've also got to, to meet with him and speak with him a couple of times and he still kind of pours back into us, 
um, now currently. So being able to see his impact on a large scale and what he's done in his career and then him still being able to be op uh, open and, and pouring back into us, it kind of makes him stand out to me as well. Hmm. And I guess uh, for me, you know, I went to, I, I went to more, I didn't go to Morgan to play football, but that's how I got to Morgan on a football scholarship. And uh, remember uh, one of the people that I love was Willie Lanier. Willie Lanier, who was in the Hall of Fame, uh, one of four Morgan players in the Hall of Fame. And I just remembered, I just remember this is like back in the late 60s. And a lot of great black football talent was going to HBCUs. And I just remember when I would tell people, uh, you know, I was like 18, they said, where are you going? And I remember I was working out at the park. I said, I'm going to Morgan. And it was almost like, you know, people say, oh, man, yeah, Morgan. Yeah, Willie Lanier went there and so-and-so because among, at that time, that was considered sort of like royalty. Like, oh, yeah. And it just gave me, later when I got to Morgan, I also found out they had this great English department, all these great writers who had been there. But the first thing was having, knowing you're going this place, and this, you know, the great Willie Lanier had gone there. Leroy Kelly had gone there. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's my short answer. It was a football player. <laughs> yeah, well, and that, you know, as you already said, my my favorite from um uh, H uh well, my favorite HBCU alum was um or is Toni Morrison. Um, she, I I read Song of Solomon when I was in high school, and it was. Uh, just so profound. It's been my favorite book ever since. I had never seen language um, used in that way that was so beautiful and so touching. And it was about Black people and people that I could envision and that I could, you know, see and understand the language. And, you know, it was about my people, basically, um, even though, you know, um, it, so it was, it was something that I felt so close to and I, I just, I've loved, uh, her work and the fact that she went to Howard is always, you know, just a source of pride for me. And I have, you know, the, I started the book with a quote from Toni Morrison, um, and it's the function, the very serious function of racism is distraction. Um, and so I was so proud to start the book out with a quote from Toni Morrison, Howard University, class of 1953. Thank you guys all for those great answers. Before we move on to the next question, I would just like to invite one more person to answer the question. Um, um, our coordinator, Kimberly Jarvis, she um, went to Johnson C., Smith University. Um, who was your favorite alum? Oh, that's a good question. And thanks for um, joining us, Aisha. We appreciate it. And thank you to, to Kier for introducing me. Um, I think my alum would have to be my dad. He went to Allen. And um, I mean, obviously, he's my dad. So I think the world of him. So um, it would definitely be my dad. And I'd have to copy Cam and say Bill as well. Thank you. Um, Aisha, you talked about your experience as a member of the Hilltop. I am not on my school's newspaper, but both Cam and Lawrence play pivotal parts in theirs, if they would like to speak to that. Go ahead, Lawrence. You can go first. Um, so currently, well, it started, I started last 
last spring, uh, kind of around the same time as now. Uh, I started as a staff writer. Uh, started well. My first uh, piece was actually about the band uh, performance they had, and then my second, I, I wrote about a pro day uh, with the NFL scouts coming to uh, to our campus and us hosting a pro day, which uh, not many HBCUs uh, get that opportunity. Um, so it went from there, and then during the summer. I applied and then I was um, selected to be our, our lead sports editor. So that's kind of where I am now. Yeah, um, I started as a contributor. So basically those are people who are not on staff, but still want a place to get their work published basically. Um, and then after that, my junior year, I applied to be the lead sports reporter and then I got it. So I did that my junior year. And this year I am the managing editor. And it's interesting because during my interview, I was telling them, I just kind of felt like a little overwhelmed. So during my interview, I literally told them not to pick me. I was like, hey guys, I don't want to do this anymore. Don't pick me. But they did anyway. So I think it's just kind of like an example of sometimes, you know, people see things in you that you don't even see yourself. And I'm glad they picked me because it's it's stressful. It's really stressful, but um, I think I'm learning a lot, kind of like it teaches me how to be a leader, it teaches me how to deal with, you know, a lot of different personalities and things like that, which I'm not really used to all the time. So and it also teaches me how to, you know, see how other people deal with me, like see how people view me as a leader. So I learn a lot about myself. But um, yeah, I think it's been very, very pivotal throughout my journalism career. And I can genuinely say I don't really know where I would be if it weren't for the register, because I look back at my first story, which was horrible. And then the last story that I did with the register, and it's like such a huge difference. So yeah, I'm really grateful for this org or this paper. It's not an org, a paper. I might just say something. Uh, I don't know if you, you, you look like you guys. I just want to say, Aisha, just how much I love and respect your work and your voice. I mean, you, you got me through the Trump presidency. Uh, just by being honest and real, and um, your voice was just so authentic. Your analysis was just so spot on, and um, you know, just just you're really amazing. Just uh, the honesty, the perception, um, you know, the professionalism, all that mixed in. But I, I like I, I really so I was so thrilled when Takir said that you were going to be a guest. I said, man, this is phenomenal. It's really sensational. So that's not a question, but just more a thank you and appreciation for you being who you are. Well, well, thank you so much. And I, you know, it's just an honor, you know, to to have you know, someone of your stature to, you know, be looking at my work uh, and and to, to you know, be complimentary. I, I am so thankful and I, I really, I don't take it lightly. I, I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. So on to the next one. <laughs> um, quick follow-up question, Aisha, when you were on the Hilltop, did you have a story that you wrote that was most impactful to you, like that you still think about to this day? Um, you know, I did a lot. Uh, I think that, like, so I did a lot of stories, obviously, millions of them. I did 
Um, I think some of the stories that got like the most attention that I did um, were like about um, Greek life, the Divine Nine. Um, I think I did a story about like was um, the Divine Nine, like were they still relevant? Um, and I didn't think it was a big deal when I was writing that. You know, I felt like it was very interesting. You know, I talked to like older generation, younger generation. But I don't think them Greeks on campus. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember, you know, that sort of drama. Like I, I was able to, um, you know, I did like um, at, at the time, um, John H. Johnson. It, there was going to be like a communications, a school of communications um, school at Howard named in his honor that didn't pan out. But when he did pass away, I, I believe I did like the obit for that. And like um, also for Ossie Davis, um, who had just like spoken at our charter day dinner. So I did some of that. Like we did some like really like, you know, very big dedications. So I think it was like so I had a number of stories that stood out to me. Um, but I think that what really got me through at or, or what really stood out to me at the Hilltop was like being an editor and like uh, assigning stories and seeing stories through like some of them that were um, a bit more controversial and like dealing with and having to deal with like response from the administration and fights with the administration over what we were reporting. So I think that is the stuff that really stayed with me. Um, you know, I did reporting on like Howard University Hospital and there were complaints about that. And so like, I think all the pushback that I got, I always remember um, because it taught me that, you know, kind of toughen up and have a backbone and, you know, what it meant to report things out and have to deal with, you know, backlash. Right. Um, my next question actually leads right into what you were just talking about. Um, in the forward, you said, end quote, I'm always cognizant of the many ways in which Black leaders, Black institutions, and other marginalized groups have been mistreated and misrepresented by the media. Yet I do not believe that love and loyalty requires silence in the face of harmful actions or policies. And I've never believed that sweeping things under the rug or keeping things in-house to avoid looking bad in front of white people is the answer, end quote. As journalists and campus correspondents for your HBCUs at one time or another, how do you all navigate um, reporting on news that does not paint your school in a positive light? And if, if Aisha, if you could give them some, uh, give, give them some advice as well, that'd be very helpful. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely dealt with this. Like, as I said, you know, I would, I, you know, I reported on Howard University Hospital and complaints about wait times and things of that nature. And I felt like I provided context for why the wait times might be long. It was one of the only um, hospitals in the, in, in the region that would deal like with gunshot wounds and, and people who had really serious critical conditions. Um, and so that might, you know, lend to like the wait times. But, you know, I had to have some some people complaining and like the school did not they were not happy. They were like, we gave you this information. We you interviewed people and we allowed you the access. And then this is what you do. Um, I think what I I took from that, even though it was hard um, and it, it was difficult and I felt like I was always kind of fighting for my life. Um, I I've took from that is like that, you know, it's important to tell the truth and everybody's not always going to be happy with you. 
Um, but at the same time, like when you're as a journalist, it's not your job to to make institutions look good. It's your job to report the truth and that the truth can push people to do better and institutions to do better. Um, and I think I, I, you know, I also said that I feel like legacies are not something to coast on. There's something to live up to. And so I feel like if you really love something, that you should push it and hold it accountable. And I think that's how you truly show love for something. And I, and like I said, and, and even when you do that, obviously always have context and and facts on your side, right? Like, you know, it's not like you're ever trying to just bash someone, but I, I think that if you can feel like I reported this, I was fair, I was honest, then you can feel secure to stand on that. Yeah, I just want to say I'm, I'm really happy you said that because there have been like so many stories where, like, for example, even for Anscape, um, it was like earlier in the season where originally the GPA for the football players was like kind of high, like kind of like unrealistically high. It was like a 3.5 or something like that, or, or I think like a 3.7, something like that. And, you know, I, I, the people wanted me to like do a story about it. And like, I was really, really scared because I was like, you know, what if the players are going to get mad at me? Then they won't, they won't let me interview them for quotes. And then, you know, because I, because I want to work in sports. So I guess I just kind of felt like maintaining a somewhat decent relationship with the players was beneficial. So I was just kind of scared to write certain stories that might hinder that relationship. But um, I completely agree with you though. And I think being in this position now, I'm starting to learn too, because for the register, we just had to do a story on the lack of heat and how students had to, you know, go to hotels. And, you know, some people emailed me like, hey, like you're a student, like you shouldn't want your school to look bad. And I was just like, I mean, it's what happened. I, I don't like, it's not like I'm lying. Like, it's not like I'm making things up. Like. You know, it's what happened. And I also agree with you. Like, it's weird because I feel like we do that thing, too, where we also provide context. Like we said, like, hey, like there's over like 3000 freshmen here. Like, of course, it's going to take a long time, you know, things like that. But, you know, people will get upset. But I, I agree with you. I think like as a journalist, you that's something you kind of got to get over. Yeah, I think it's it's also uh, a little tough for for us. I know earlier. Geez, that was during the summer, really. Uh, I think that's the beginning of like summer workouts for like the football team. Uh, FAMU, FAMU football had an incident uh, with letting letting a rapper in the locker room to shoot a video. Um, so I, I I was trying to talk to my friends. I'm obviously I wasn't in Tallahassee at the time, so I'm talking to some of my friends. They're like um, trying to figure out who was in the video, who I was in the video, trying to get some um, some context just to you know be able to tell the truth. And you know some. I'm talking to people and they're like, oh, man, you, you can't do that. You can't talk about, you know, what I'm saying you can't expose these people. You know, obviously, you know, some of I know some of the people that were, you know, even in the video myself personally. So it was kind of trying to to explain to them that line between being able to tell the truth and, and just be open and honest rather than trying to with that intent, rather than trying to uh, ex expose people and trying to tarnish whatever they have going on, but rather, uh, you know, the other side. Can I, can I ask something? Uh, uh, not so much about that, but I'm just wondering, Aisha, how, um, you know, you, 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 you've really done phenomenal things in your career and you're still going, moving, you know, doing more. Uh, how optimistic are you, are, you know, to care and 
Lawrence and Cam, they're just kind of coming out. And the question is, what are they coming out to? You know, and how optimistic are you about, um, given everything you've known and seen and done, how optimistic are you for them in terms of coming into this, our, our industry? You know, I, I won't sugarcoat it. It is a rough time for the media industry. And, you know, you see the headlines and, and layoffs all over the place. So I think you you can't, you know, I won't sugarcoat that. But I will say I came into journalism what, oh, like as a professional, like in 07, so right around like the recession. And I've seen, you know, print, like, you know, newspapers, um, totally fall apart. Um, and, and I've seen, so I've seen a lot of contraction and expansion, um, in the industry and, and trends rise and fall. I think what I'm optimistic about is seeing, um, young journalists, like, I'm optimistic that you are coming into this journey to this industry because we need you and we need fresh perspectives. And I don't know what the media landscape will look like in the future, but I know that it will be better off when we have voices like yours and you may have to create some things on your own. So I may have to work for you and what you created one day. Right. Um, because I think that this industry is changing, but I think the need for journalism is not going away. And I think the need, for the truth and reporting is not going away. And so I, I think, but I do think that there is a need to figure out new ways and innovative ways to deliver the news and to get it to a younger generation. So I'm very happy to see you coming into the industry and I'm very optimistic uh, about the future because we do have people like you coming into this industry. Um. Thank you so much for that. We appreciate you. Um, that's all for today's episode. To our audience, thank you for tuning in with us for another year of the Fellows Podcast. We'd like to give a very special thanks to Miss Oh, to Miss Aisha, to Miss Aisha, to Miss Roscoe for taking the time to be with us and sharing her experiences. Get HBCU made as soon as possible to hear some more great stories from HBCU alumnus. Our e extra thanks to Bill Roden, Kimberly Jarvis, Parker Owens, and the ESPN Digital Audio Content Team. Get all Roden Fellows podcast episodes and HBCU podcasts by subscribing to the HBC to the Anscape listing tab of the ESPN app. Make sure to join us for the next HBCU podcast. And don't forget to go on Anscape's website and look at the latest news and insight. Um, and that's a wrap. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Aisha. Um, can't wait to finish your book. And I'm hoping so many great things for you. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'm so glad to be here. And H-U. You know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that. I was literally waiting for that. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. It's very, it's a pleasure and honor.